Happy Friday, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. What a great week it's been. Knock on wood. I got to knock on some wood. You know, uh, you're listening and watching Untold Stories, where together, you and I, twice a week, along with our guests, we get to dive really deep into this industry, understand some really cool shit, talk to some really great people, do some really cool things, learn some stories, get some tidbits of information, maybe some direction, maybe some opportunities, and 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 maybe, just maybe, truly understand where the hell this whole movement is going, crypto, Bitcoin, and everything in between. Uh, you're listening, this is Untold Stories, and you guys, uh, this is really exciting because we have Jesse Berger on the show today. We've become really good friends over the last few months or so. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. Yeah, great to be here with you, Charlie, and thanks for having me. We originally met in uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, and then we hung out in in Austin, Texas at, at Consensus. So I'm like, hold on, you're in the film industry, you and your brother are in the film industry, but you're also deep in the crypto industry. So yeah. I was really excited now that we get we can get a show together. I'm going to give everyone a little bit of background uh, about you, but I'm excited that we're going to be hanging out next week in, in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, um, my God, I, it's so hot here in Florida right now. Yeah, well, it's hot in California as well, but more mild and less humid. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for the dryness. It's so much better there. <laughs> exactly. So you... You started your 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 career. Well, you did a lot of things, but in two thousand eight, uh, you guys started Radical Studios. Your your brother and Barry Levine, um, Josh Berger, um, your brother, and and uh, you guys did movies like Oblivion with Tom Cruise and Morgan Freeman and Hercules, starring Dwayne Johnson. Uh, you've you're known very well around the industry, uh, which is filled with a lot of BS. You know, bullshit people. So you guys are like kind of a, a breath of fresh air. But at the same time, uh, you guys co-founded a company called Packet Pal and Packet Cash, which is this epic decentralized high-speed data network that, uh, uh, it, uh, you know, which you guys created Packet Crypt, uh, which is this proof of work uh, fork. So it's only mineable. And it's this whole nother community and whole nother world. I mean, I don't know where to start, but I guess my first question is like, why? Yeah, it's a super good question. You know, my background, as you mentioned, is in the film and entertainment industry. And that's where I began actually converting comic books into movies, started a comic book company called Radical Comics and Radical Publishing in 2008. And really focusing on making comic books as intellectual property that we could turn into movies. And that was the you know beginning of my career around 2010, started Radical Studios, which was really focused on converting our own intellectual property catalog into those uh, film and entertainment properties. And as you mentioned, made a bunch of really big movies. The first movie we made was a movie called Oblivion which uh, we shot in 2012, came out in 2013, starring Tom Cruise and actually the director of Top Gun 2. That's where they met on that oh, film. Oh, Joe Kaczynski. Yeah, Joe Kaczynski, exactly. Brilliant. And, uh, and then in 2013, we shot Hercules, which was with The Rock. It was his first huge leading role. 
and made that with uh, Paramount and MGM that came out in 2014. So two massive tentpole movies. We made those back to back, big budget, you know, uh, nine figure budgets. And as those movies released and were relatively successful, not only in the box office, but in all the ancillary markets, you know, we just ultimately didn't ever get to participate on the back end. And we had really, really good definitions. You know, when you're making movies with these studios, you get these very long form contracts. And so we were optimistic that these films were going to be successful. And ultimately, we get this royalty statement years and years and years after the movie comes out. And it's printed on a piece of paper. And it just says, you didn't get paid. And all these other people did. And we were just dumbfounded by that whole you know, reality that you could create something that has so much money, so much commerce behind it. And the people who originated it just absolutely don't get paid um, on the back end. So, you know, it, it was it was a fascinating kind of experience. And, you know, I had been introduced to Bitcoin around 2014. That's where I had first kind of learned about it. But I really became aware of blockchain in 2017. That's where that really clicked for me, this idea of an immutable ledger. And I started thinking, what if we could figure out a way to get film revenues onto an immutable ledger so that there was transparency on the revenue side, whereby if the film, let's say, wasn't successful, at least you could go and audit the you know revenue streams and say yeah it wasn't successful because x y and z and we can actually see that and that's where i got you know introduced into smart contracts and um that was really the origin of heading down this path towards what became you know packet and uh packet cash and uh the the uh blockchain project that you just mentioned it's pretty brilliant because we were we were talking and i was understanding uh i, I want to give so i want the users the the listeners to understand like you've you've built this this network where there's a, de a mineable device and people who connect to the packet network are paid in packet cash every 60 seconds you created like an economic incentive for people to grow internet connectivity right like infrastructure between everyone without any technical knowledge so you've built like something a crypto native company or crypto native ecosystem but for mainstream users for everyone my grandma can can order this and plug it in and also have like things like virtual private networks built into it and you're almost like creating this user base that you could eventually start like this is software tools for for freedom this is what we've been talking about for a decade <laughs> yeah totally it's so there's a couple cool uh you know on ramps into this project so first and foremost the packet project which is spelled pkt um, is a fully open source decentralized project in the truest sense. So there's no company, there's no investors, there's no foundation, there's no CEO. It's literally a software technology called PacketCrypt, which was released onto the internet for free. Anybody can download it. Anybody can install it on any device. It's completely permissionless. And, uh, and that was launched in August, 2019. And so that technology enables people to install the software and mine packet and 
to mine packet, it's utilizing, it's actually a, a Bitcoin fork, but it replaces the proof of work of Bitcoin. And what that proof of work is doing is actually uh, assessing your bandwidth quality. And, and as a result of that, you're being compensated for participating, for actually piping bandwidth into the network. And so this idea is, as more people do this globally, bandwidth is being sourced and, uh, and allocated at the edge, and it's building a decentralized edge network completely powered by the people. So that was the first part of the project. And, you know, from my standpoint, again, I was thinking, how could you build a network that could potentially be as powerful as a Netflix or an Amazon uh, and not require billions of dollars of, you know, money for infrastructure? And you can look towards Bitcoin and, you know, the accomplishments of this decentralized uh, network that economically incentivizes people to participate at the edge. And whereas Bitcoin being this kind of like financial network, you know, Packet is a high-speed data network powered by the people. So that's really the kind of the origin concept for it. And then Josh and I, my brother, as you mentioned, we set up a company called Packet Pal. And the whole concept for Packet Pal is creating turnkey solutions, hardware and software that just make it easy as pie for people to get involved with the packet project. So instead of needing to install code on your computer and having to kind of go through some of the more technical aspects of uh, you know participating in blockchain projects, we wanted to make a hardware project, uh, a hardware device and easy to use software that's just you know very it's downloadable, easily installable and just makes it really, really easy for people to be able to offer their their bandwidth resources to the network. Like a lot of people followed kind of like Ethereum's lead, even though Ethereum is still proof of work, it's not proof of stake yet. But a lot of people took the proof of stake lead saying that like, <clears throat> if we want to do transactional layers and we want to do things like high speed data network, uh, you can't do it on top of Bitcoin. So, but what you guys did was you said, no, you know, proof of work is awesome. And, and having this idea of mining is, is actually the, the brilliant invention. You kind of created your own algorithm called packet crypt. I kind of want to understand how that's bandwidth hard proof of work and what the difference is between that and like Bitcoin's proof of work. But it's really interesting that you didn't go like a, a proof of stake type of system. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the godfather of the project is a is a really really intelligent guy named Caleb James Delisle, and Caleb had invented a technology called CJDNS, which went live in 2011. It's a mesh networking technology, and Caleb's a cryptographer, a security analyst, and a mesh networking expert, and he invented this this tech that essentially assigns anybody in the world an IPv6 address. And to get on the internet, you need an IP address. Generally speaking, IP addresses are issued by yeah. internet service providers. And so he created a technology that literally allows anybody to run the software and get an IP address, which means that you can get on the internet without requiring a central issuer like an ISP. And so the idea is building mesh networks. He took that knowledge and experience of building this mesh network uh, within the context of CJDNS and is really now leveraging that 
into what's become packet and the packet ecosystem. And so he invented this bandwidth hard proof of work called packet crypt. Packet crypt has got two parts. It's packet, which is for you know data and crypt, which is encryption. And the idea is basically allocating uh, you know, CPU or you know yeah. for for encrypting the network and then bandwidth for actually powering the network. And that is the backbone for what, you know, essentially issues the new coins that are mined every 60 seconds, as you mentioned. And it creates the economic incentive for, you know, people to participate, for people to uh, bring in the bandwidth resources that they have available. And we always say, you're just not using all of your bandwidth. We've kind of, as a, as a global society, accepted that we're going to pay anywhere between 60 and 150 bucks a month for the rest of our life for access to the internet. And then we sleep for half the day and we're at work for part of the day. And you're just only using a fraction of the internet that you're paying for. So what would happen if you take this resource that you're already, you know, responsible for both financially and, you know, from an infrastructure standpoint and can contribute that back to power a network that has this like greater good benefit. And some of those greater good benefits are, you know, a resilient network that's censorship resistant, uh, high speed, and can not only help people get on the internet with packet, you get on the internet for free, uh, but you can then pay for how fast you want your internet speed to be rather than just paying for connectivity. So like filmmaking and, and content aside, this is kind of like, when we talk about people building web three, if we look at going to, I know I just said aside, but if we go to like netflix.com, we're not only watching content and paying for it with a centralized type of company, where like you said, the royalties go to the, the filmmakers who actually originated almost all the content you watch are probably making the least amount of money in that whole process, but they're the ones who took the biggest risk. Uh, not forget that aside, but you're also that is being hosted on Amazon Web Services. That's so right. you're it's being paid for like and it's a, so it's a centralized service that one day and they're doing it in other countries, right? Like in China, they limit how much how many hours a day you can watch certain content and how many hours a day you can you can play video games and things like that. It's easy to enforce when you have like Amazon Web Services, which I forget the number guys, but it's like 90% or something. It's like how much of the internet, how much of the internet is on AWS? Let's let's Google this. It's like almost 10% market share. Could you imagine that? So it's like, and that's like most of the important stuff that we're using anyways. And it's like a few other companies where everything else. So that's web three, you're rebuilding that. And then at the same time, anyone it's really, so what other type of, um, what other type of features does the cube have or will it have? Yeah, so yeah, for sure. So the, the packet cube is a device that's sold by packet pal. Now you, as I mentioned, don't need, don't need a packet cube to participate in the packet network. You can just use your home computer. You can use an old computer that you have lying around. Uh, so you don't need to buy a new device, which is different than other networking projects that we've seen out there that, you know, require you to buy a device. Um, but in the case of packet, this company PacketPal that Josh and I founded is offering a device that provides this kind of like turnkey on-ramp plug and play 
uh, way to participate in packet. So what the cube does in particular is it's a 16 core, uh, you know, Ryzen processor, very high speed, high powered processor, uh, because packet does require the ability um, to, you know, to actually offer CPU cycles into the network. So you're basically buying this device. It's whisper quiet. So it's unlike these Bitcoin and Ethereum miners that, yeah. you know, sound like a jet engine. It's <laughs> you plug it in and it immediately starts mining. There's no installation whatsoever. Now, inside that uh, that device has a user interface and an operating system called the Packetier OS. And within Packetier OS, it's got your wallet and it's got a bunch of features that allow you to basically schedule how much bandwidth you're allocating to the network, almost like a nest. You can program it what time of day and what percentage of your bandwidth you're allocating. And then there's some features that are coming out in the, in the fall and later on this year, in particular, a technology called Wi-Fi sharing. And so Wi-Fi sharing is kind of the first uh, you know, shift, if you will, to from creating the network, which is what we've been doing for the last few years, to actually using the network. And with Wi-Fi sharing, that's making it so that people can actually offer internet connectivity to their neighbors and their neighbor can get onto the internet without having an internet connection directly. They're actually using their neighbor's internet connection. And the way it works, which is really interesting to people because their first concern is, I don't want to share my internet because what if they do something crazy on my internet and it exposes me to my internet service provider and I get shut off. But the way the tech actually works is that you're getting onto the internet through your neighbor's Wi-Fi, but then you're actually entering the internet through a VPN. So it eliminates the legal and, and, and liability risk to the actual provider. And you now are making it so people are able to help contribute access to the internet and people who don't have internet access can get online without requiring a subscription from an ISP. It's permissionless. And it's permissionless. Yeah. So basically it was permissionless to the extent that you need somebody at the edge who's offering this access point. But in terms of the access point, yeah, it's permissionless because there's no legal or liability risk for the actual provider. They're, they're just providing a resource that they have, that they have in excess amount uh, of bandwidth for. And then the person getting online is able to enter onto the internet for free. And this really creates this, uh, this idea of, you know, mesh networking at the edge, which is a really powerful concept. Now, of course, this is the early, early stages of this network. It's, you know, not as robust as some of these, you know, legacy networks that we're all using from, you know, major fortune 500 companies. But, you know, at one point, the Bitcoin network was this nascent network sure. that was just an idea. And I think the idea here is, you know, in the same way that people, uh, you know, evangelized and supported this idea of Bitcoin, we'd love to see people evangelize and support this idea of decentralized censorship resistant networks that are high speed, that can actually get people onto the Internet, can actually provide people the data throughput so that you could watch your Netflix off of an internet connection that you don't need to get from, uh, you know, from a Fortune 500 or Global 1000 ISP. So that's the connection to film and content and TV. Like how, how, how did you kind of mix them back together? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I had to veer far off the, my, you know, my core uh, yeah, path. 
to solve this big problem because I've just been so, I've been so disgruntled as a filmmaker. I mean, it's just, you know, you know as you're getting into film, Charlie, and, you know, you put so much time and energy into making a film. I mean, making a movie, and I always, and I always say this to people, making a good movie and making a bad movie is exactly the same workflow. <laughs> you go oh my into God, it's it, great. it, it's, it's like you're going in with, the vision and the passion and the money and everyone's on set watching what you're filming and thinking it looks great in the camera. And then there's all this other stuff that happens, you know, at the end that determines whether it's going to be a success or not. And there's just no way to know whether it's going to be a success. You have the biggest actors in the world in your film and it could just come out at the wrong time, you know, or, you know, there could be a pandemic, you know, and it's just like, you don't know what's going to happen the marketing could be, be a failure, you know, uh, you know, an actor could have some sort of like calamity happen personally where they either can't promote it or their reputation is smeared and the movie all of a sudden, you know, can't succeed. So there's all these things that happen in the success and lineage of a, of a movie's life. But when that film does come out, you know, there's a whole commerce around that movie that, and today the way that that commerce functions is it's literally controlled by the distributors. And so what happens is the filmmaker is relegated to the very bottom of the, what we call a waterfall, which is like dollar one is your gross, right? And then you have all these participants that take money off the top. And then if there's money left over, you get to what's called net, net profits. And if there's anything left over, that's usually where the film creators and the marketing you know, caps and all this other stuff too. Well, it's crazy. Yeah. All the profit participants, if you know, they'll they'll negotiate for their profits. But what happens is the dollar one money goes to the distributor. And we've heard of this. Apple taking 30% off the top, you know, Amazon takes 30% off the top. In the case of Netflix. They give you a full buyout and you're gone. There's no royalty. Uh, it doesn't matter how successful the project is. It's just literally a one-time fee and c'est la vie. So what I wanted to look at was, okay, if we could build a distribution network that had the equivalence of some sort of smart contract technology where people, I mean, in, in the case of Packet, are earning for participating in providing infrastructure to the network, they earn some sort of coin, and then they can actually spend that on the content that they want to watch. And there's, you know, a uh, immutable representation of value where sure. you can actually see exactly how many people are watching and, and, and buying access or, uh, you know, viewing this, this particular project. And you can get, you know, real accountability on that waterfall, then, you know, we are getting somewhere where you're actually able to not only power empower content creators to create and distribute their content, but to actually make money from their content. Because right now that money is coming through a black box called uh, YouTube or a black box called Amazon or a black box called iTunes or a black box called any of the major studios sure. from you know <laughs> Disney down to uh to Paramount. So, you know, you have no accountability and if you are upset or believe that there's some sort of, you know, uh, you know, incorrect royalty statement, good luck. You have to audit these major studios and that costs tens of thousands of dollars. 
So, you know, most people, even the major movie stars don't do it. We're negotiating. A, I negotiated a, a sale of a film to a, to the, to a studio and they like the, the part about how you actually audit their reports, like that language also like, like, the filmmaker has to pay for it and only use like a real auditor. So it costs like a, like more money than you would actually be making to actually yeah. do the audit. And even when you, do, it's just like such an uphill battle. Yeah. It's a, it's a fight. You know, I, I heard <laughs> that the major, you know, movie stars, you know, they'll do it, but you do it in retrospect, like sometimes five or 10 or 20 years later, you know, because how many times are you going to do the audit? It's so thorough and it costs so much money to do it. You've seen some people fight, you know, for their, what they believe they're entitled to. We saw a huge legal battle around the walking dead. He I remember that. Prevailing and got a huge payday out of it and felt that there was malfeasance there. So it's like, there are examples of, you know, you know, this black box, accounting uh back office doing things to benefit the studio or the distributor to the you know disadvantage of the content creator uh you just have to have a lot of money if you want to fight and so you know this concept here again like i had to veer so far into this world of technology just to come back and do what i believe is right for the content creators and the goal here long term is to build an alternative distribution platform where content creators can not only go out and create the content that they believe people want to see, but they can have a distribution rail that is free and transparent and, you know, can have the reach that uh, is required for a project to be successful and where the money can actually make it back to the content creator rather than the platform. It's so cool. It's like very, it's, it's so cool because, um, I like how you kind of merged, uh, both these, both these industries together. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's been, <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm never been qualified for, for this world of tech, but I just dove in head first and I got lucky because I met Caleb and he is the, uh, he's the guru on the tech side. How much bandwidth are we not using? Like how much extra, what, what are some numbers here? Yeah, I mean, we, we've been just from our, you know, very high level from an uh, analysis standpoint, we're basically identifying that people are not using a minimum of 50% of their bandwidth for the most part, you know? Um, so people are literally, I mean, you sleep <laughs> for- but it costs the know, same- amount of electricity, whether how much bandwidth you're using, right? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make my modem run hotter. If I'm using more bandwidth, I have That's unlimited, right. most of us at home have like unlimited bandwidth, right? So why not, why not turn, turn it back on the heels of the ISPs, use it to our advantage. Yeah, exactly. Look, you know, the bandwidth, there's also this misconception around unlimited, you know, and a lot of the fine print on these ISPs, mm -hmm. um, they have like a fair use clause and and so I've actually had scenarios where, you know, I'm using my bandwidth and they're saying, hey, you're using too much of your unlimited bandwidth. You know, we saw this, you know, numerous times, you know, with the cell phone companies too. It's like, hey, you get unlimited until you use 20 gigs and then it's not unlimited anymore. We're going to throttle you, you know? Uh, so there are, you know, deceptive practices on the ISP side with what they're, you know, selling versus, what they're offering. Um, that said, 
again, you have billions of people, you know, 5 billion people connected to the internet. And yeah, there's a massive surplus of just, you know, wasted bandwidth. I actually love using this analogy of just like oil. Uh, you know, if you think back to like the oil boom, right? An oil man or woman came to your property and said, hey, you know, you have this resource that's on your property and do you want to make money off of it? Don't, you don't have to do anything. We're just going to, you know, set up this, this setup and we're going to extract value from your property and you're going to make money. And a lot of people made that decision to go down that path. And I feel like bandwidth is the modern day oil. And a lot of people have <laughs> their connectivity yeah. to the internet, this opportunity to monetize this unused resource. And even if, and a lot of people say, well, how much money will I make? Or how long will it take for me to generate a profit off of what I have? And I always say, if you make $1, that's $1 more than you're making today off of your internet for the, for the most part. So if that $1 is, and we have billions of people doing it, that's billions of dollars in value that's being generated that was just previously non-existent. And, and I also like to give the analogy of like, you know, Uber and, and Airbnb, you know, you have an extra room in your house yeah, and, or you're on vacation and you can now rent that extra room or you can, you know, actually generate revenue off of your home while you're not home. Uh, you have a car sitting in your driveway and now you can get in that car and drive it and get paid versus just looking at your car as an expense. And so I really feel that as more people learn about packet, that the light bulb should go off where people say, well, I have bandwidth. And uh, if I ask my question of how much money I'm making up my bandwidth and the answer is zero, and you're interested in generating passive income, then you should be interested in participating in this network. A lot of people like went the NFT route with content. They, they, everyone you meet does content and it's like, oh, I have an NFT. They're doing something like NFT, raising money for film or art. It's like, you don't think that model works. Do you get pitched that idea all the time? Yeah, I actually think the NFT. So, so I think the NFT model is the, is the future for content rights. I actually uh, totally okay. agree with that because, you know, the back end of the NFT is a smart contract and that's the whole you know nfts can really only launch on smart contract platforms right so the idea this this kind of like novel idea of a residual right so it's like you can have the nft creator and then every time that nft gets sold they're getting a little bit of value coming back to them i think that is that's the novelty of nfts and so i believe that you know if we're fast forwarding to the future and people are utilizing the, the packet network for their distribution rails uh, you know, and, and packet again, won't necessarily be the front end, like the Netflix sure. uh, of this ecosystem, but it will be the AWS. And a lot of people don't realize, as you mentioned, that Netflix runs on top of AWS. So literally the infrastructure behind Netflix is their number one competitor. But in the case of Packet, you know, there could be another Netflix, you know, that runs on top of the Packet network. But yeah. when that content's being distributed, it's going to have to have some sort of NFT-like experience where as people interact and transact around the content itself, there needs to be some sort of delineation 
for how value is transferred between the content creator and the uh, and either the owner or the viewer of that content. So I think NFTs is going to be integral to that. Um, I think smart contracts, even though Packet is a Bitcoin-based network, we're looking at the Stacks technology, which is essentially smart contracts for Bitcoin. We're looking at uh, forking Stacks and bringing that over into the Packet so cool ecosystem. That, that you can do that because like you've made your own Bitcoin-like network because, uh, and now you can you know, almost pick and choose what new technologies work for you. You can add in Mimblewimble faster than Bitcoin, you know, Litecoin added it. You can do privacy-based technologies that are in beta testing right now before Bitcoin does. You could do a lot of cool things. Um, and I think, um, and I'm bringing, I'm, I'm bringing a bunch of quotes from our previous guest, but I think that application-specific blockchains are going to be the future. So it's like, like yours, like blockchains that are, that are built for a specific reason and uh you know for a specific user base and there's enough of that you know user base out there instead of just like hey let's build this massive chain to do everything it's going to be like this and at the same time so that's really cool and at the yeah, same yeah. time what i was thinking about too is that he was teaching us about this like gravity towards centralization uh, earlier in the week and he was basically trying to to prove a thesis that all energy, humanity, business, everything veers more centralized. It's just constant. It's a gravity to centralization. There's just it's just the way the world works. Everything is a gravity toward centralization. Until Bitcoin and, and further with crypto, where you have like this economic incentive built into the network that kind of like pulls back the decentralization balance back, you know, into decentralization. And so that's really, really cool here. And that's kind of like what you're you're doing here. You're how, and to use an example, like a real world example, I was just thinking about Spotify. When Spotify first launched, and I was really excited about this, it utilized the technology behind BitTorrent, peer-to-peer -peer file sharing. You know, you'd listen to a song on your Spotify and it was faster because maybe the, you're streaming it from a person on the same train as you one car over instead of from like a centralized it was using like a mesh network using peer-to-peer -peer. but eventually over time spotify is just hosted on aws it just goes as a gravity to centralization but if spotify had some like mechanism where artist and tokenization was built into it and and rights and royalties i think it would have stayed in that more decentralized world yeah that's a really good point you know, and I totally agree with you. I think, you know, everything does, you know, have a tendency going towards centralization, you know, or even looking at proof of work, you have these kind of vast decentralized networks. But then if you look at the mining behind Bitcoin, for instance, you know, you can see there's a lot of centralization. It's always kind of had a tendency of going towards consolidating, uh, you know, resources, looking for ways to become more efficient. And then obviously, you know, greed, you know, powers, you know, is, is the power behind incentive in a lot of ways, you know, people are just looking for ways to, uh, you know, to aggregate more value. So, you know, I think that that's always going to be a tendency. It's kind of like the tendency of humanity per se. But if you have a greater good that emanates from that economic incentive, then that becomes super interesting. And so, you know, while you can be looking towards consolidations and efficiencies and, and aggregation of value, at the same time, you're seeing this like 
you know, emergence of uh, opportunity and, you know, access and uh, censorship resistance and really giving opportunity, you know, opportunity to people who just wouldn't necessarily have it or, uh, you know, spawning the, uh, you know, the emergence of new technologies that can leverage these pre-existing networks. So that's what gets me, you know, up in the morning working on this. And I also look at Packet in particular, you know, as a canvas, you know, that's just there for the taking, like anybody can participate, anyone can build on this network. There's people from literally, you know, every single content continent that are either mining or, you know, building technology in kind of the open source ecosystem of Packet. And the other thing that's really unique about Packet is it is really been focused on building bridges to other projects. So instead of it having its own fiefdom and this isolation that we see with a lot of networks, you know, Packet's been looking at ways to create participatory, uh, you know, network on ramps where other mesh network technologies or other ecosystem payment ecosystems can kind of bring their communities and uh, and transact and find you know value within this within this particular ecosystem. So we've really been focused particularly on ways that people can connect and participate with Packet uh, rather than having a bunch of you know people trying to win the race. You know we always say you're not going to have one company that's going to you know change the world in so to speak on networking like it you know, there's not one cell phone company, you know, like there's, there's a lot of them and it's because it's a big world. So we need to find a way, you know, in the case of cell phone, we're roaming where if you take your Verizon phone, you know, to uh, London or Paris, you're not using Verizon there. You're using a roaming agreement and you're basically getting access to another network. So we need to have that same type of, uh, you know, connectivity so that people have the ability to access networks no matter where they are. You're seeing a lot of this, like Helium is doing something similar, and there's a lot of this new, like, rebuilding these networks, but you have to do it from uh, hardware right now at home because we're using the hardware of, of the ISPs, right? We're all using the hardware of the ISPs at home, or we're using the hard- hardware of the cell phone companies. So is that the only way to build build this new web is, is to have hardware? Is that like, uh, like well, Starlink? Elon Musk is doing it, you know? Yeah, I think it is. There's a general requirement for there to be some type of hardware, obviously. You know, it's like we need some either device to access it uh, or we need some sort of, you know, antenna to transmit it. Right. So what's funny is I, you know, I'll, I'll mention this idea with Packet and I'll say, yeah, you can get on the Internet, you know, for free. And people are like, I don't understand. How, what do you mean get on the internet for free? Like how, what am I getting onto? And so I say, okay, I'll give you this example. You move into a new apartment, right? You move in, you move into apartment B and you don't have an internet connection. Now your neighbors, they all have internet, Yeah. but you've moved in in an apartment B, you have not set up your internet. Now you have a laptop, you have a phone, you might have a Wi-Fi, you know, device like an Eero or some ubiquity kind of Wi-Fi, you know, mesh network yeah, for your something. for your for your home, but you don't have an outside connection to the internet, right? So you open up your phone and it's got the network uh button. And if you press the network button, it will show you all the Wi-Fi networks that are around you. 
And, you know, some of them are unlocked. And if you're in an airport, you click on, let's say the, you know, LAX Wi-Fi, and it brings you up a, it opens up a web page and it says, do you want to get on the internet for 20 minutes for free? Right. And you can click that. And now you're on the internet for 20 minutes for free. It's not maybe the fastest internet, but you're on the internet. Uh, same thing happens on an airplane or at a Starbucks or when you go to an, uh, go to a hotel. So the idea with Packet is you do that from your phone or you do that from your computer and it reveals the Packet network. It brings up a Packet, uh, you know, a captive portal. And now you're getting on the internet. How cool with, is that? It, it, and it's using the exact same technology that we're familiar with today. It's just like no one is doing it. It's just kind of crazy. And so uh, th that's the idea of it. It's not, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We're just trying to utilize the tools that are available to us today and get people access to the internet. Now, this can also work in rural areas, you know, around the world where maybe internet's not so prevalent, but anybody can be the person that's bringing internet to that local community. Hmm. And then the other people, you know, someone's going to do some infrastructure work. And then the other people in that local community will look on their cell phone or look on their laptop and the packet network is now available in that local area. So, you know, there's always going to be someone doing some legwork, running some wires, setting up an antenna, whatever that looks like. But then that person is economically incentivized because now they're becoming an internet service provider to their local area. In the case of the apartment example that I gave, you know, Charlie lives in apartment A and, you know, Charlie's traveling a lot. So you can then from your phone, contribute your resources to that network. And when, you know, you move into apartment B, now you're getting on the internet through Charlie's internet because, you know, you're, it's, it's earning money. It's excess. And like with Wi-Fi calling is how, like if you're home and you're connected to Wi-Fi with a, with a, with a new Android or, or, or iPhone or whatever, you're most probably using Wi-Fi calling. So, yeah. so you can do like, you don't even need uh, a cell phone network when there's an, enough of a mesh, a mesh system out there. Exactly. Yeah. And look, this, it's so cool. This yeah, tech yeah. is there. I, we always say like, you know, for the, for the packet cube, we're using off the shelf technologies for that. Um, the Wi-Fi technology, it's off the shelf technologies. So it's like, it's it's literally trying to make it as simple as possible for people to get access to the internet without requiring you to you know subscribe from an internet service provider i love it jesse i'm excited to hang out next week thank you so yeah, much for taking the time and, and coming on until the stories i know it's a little bit early for you but you seem <laughs> like you've been up and at it for the past few hours anyways you're always ready to go exactly um, Appreciate it. I know that the listeners are probably really excited about this. I've been trying to focus more on like guests where, you know, and also with our investing too, like our fund, we're really only investing now in like products that are building using like crypto native, but for everyone, because we've mm -hmm. had 10 years now to build services for each other. We have to start proving our, you know, proving out our concepts here. So yeah, for sure. Telling us that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the, you know, the, the listeners should go check out packet. It's um, pkt.cash. Um, there is another packet out there called play key. It's an old token that uh, went out of business some time ago. So don't get uh, confused by uh, packet, um, uh, the other project, but yeah, so it's PKT it's trading on um, Bitmart and Bitrex. And then packet pal is 
you know, this really exciting company. There's so many cool things coming down the pipe. You can check it out at pktpal.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. We'll have all those in the show notes too. I'll see you later. Awesome. Take care.